Chapter 23 of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, a Herald of the Cross, by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter 23 The King of the Jews. Herod Agrippa had received at the hands of Claudius the greater kingdom which the latter had promised him, a promise which Agrippa had not been slow to bring to the attention of the emperor when once he was seated securely upon his ancestral throne. I promised thee an addition to thy kingdom, said Claudius, wrinkling his fat forehead into the multitudinous creases which with him indicated great mental effort. By my faith, man, I had forgotten it. Moreover, I need thee at Rome. Who so clever as Agrippa amongst all my counsellors? Stay with me. Thou shalt have money, palaces, anything that thou wilt. There be many wise men at Rome, imperial majesty, replied Agrippa, his hand upon his heart. Yet are there none wiser than the learned Claudius, whom the gods have but justly rewarded for his virtues by placing him at the head of human affairs. Perchance I may serve the master of the world better amongst the turbulent Jews, over whom thou wilt do well to place a strong hand at present. By Hercules, thou art right, cried Claudius, vastly pleased with this delicate imputation of supreme wisdom. To the Jews thou shalt go, and do thou keep a tight rein over the knaves, for they hate the Roman bit and bridle even as the wild asses of the desert. And the emperor nodded his big head knowingly. Thou hast already the Tetrarchy of Trachonitis, royal master, said Agrippa, bowing. Caius was a selfish dog, remarked Claudius with a comfortable air of superiority. I said more than once that his end would be a bad one. By the immortals, he treated me, the emperor of Rome, worse than any clown. Ay, that he did. I remember me. Do not, I beseech thee, allow the bitter memories of the past to mingle with the sweet streams of today's prosperity hastily interposed Agrippa, who foresaw a long rambling dissertation on the vices of Caius, which was likely to lead the imperial historian far enough from the matter in hand. Caius bestowed upon me the tetrarchy of Trachonitis, a meager gift indeed, though perchance commensurable with my humble merits. Take it all, said Claudius briefly but decidedly, throwing himself back in his chair. I decree it. What? Judea, Samaria, Abilene, and the district of Lebanon, beside what I already have? exclaimed Agrippa, scarce daring to believe his ears. That were a royal gift indeed. I have said it, said Claudius, bringing down his broad palm with a resounding thwack. The emperor of Rome hath decreed it. Let them fetch parchment and the seal straightway. And so it came to pass that Herod Agrippa sat upon the throne of his father's father, who was called Herod the Great though truly he was great in nothing but wickedness and unhappiness. No such bitter, though salutary, reflections visited Agrippa as he entered with great pomp into the holy city of Jerusalem. His ears were filled with the acclamations of the people, who saw in this return of the Asmonean dynasty a restoration of at least a fraction of their ancient rights and privileges. In his mind he was already revolving ambitious projects to throw off the Roman yoke altogether that he might be in fact what he was already in name, king of the Jews. After the gorgeous and imposing ceremonial 
which took place in the temple in accordance with the ancient custom the king with his own royal hands hung up in a conspicuous place above the treasury the golden chain which caius had given him in place of that iron chain which he had worn for a season let this chain he said piously serve to remind the people that however great immortal may be god hath the power to put him down from his high estate and he that putteth down is also able to exalt high above all enemies and mischance him that doeth virtuously which indeed was a wholesome saying and one that the king would have done well to remember great and exalted be the god of israel who hath remembered his people to bless them in the restoration of this their lawful prince chanted the priests and all the people answered with a loud voice amen and amen as for agrippa he wept aloud so deep were his emotions and when the high priest asked him why these tears o king on this the day of thy rejoicing he made answer i am weeping reverend and holy priest of the most high jehovah because there flow in my veins some foul drops of the accursed gentile blood would that i were indeed and in truth a prince of the chosen people of israel who alone shall receive prosperity and peace and honor at the hand of their god with which words together with the multitude of the sacrifices which he had purchased he perhaps thought to gain favor in the eyes of that jehovah in whom he believed even as he believed in the olympian jupiter his words did not fail of their intended effect upon the newly made high priest who in due time reported them as a matter of solemn rejoicing to the sanhedrin the time of our prosperity is at hand he said for the king also declared to me this day that he hath interceded with the emperor of rome in our behalf and in behalf of the jews of every nation to the end that the temple of the living god be no more defiled with idolatrous images of any emperor or king moreover we have his promise that hereafter we shall worship jehovah after the custom of our ancestors in all holiness and peace if these things be so said jonathan one of the sons of annas then ought we to cleanse the holy city from every hateful heresy and schism which doth defile it that jerusalem may be pure and fair even as a bride made ready for her husband ye cannot be ignorant sons of abraham that the sect of the nazarenes which in days past we endeavoured to put down and destroy by every means in our power hath again in the troublous times which have beset us reared its ugly head in our midst even as some noisome weed which waxeth fat and flourishing and bespreads itself over all the fair garden spaces if ever the husbandmen neglect the due tilling of the soil now must we pursue the work with renewed vigour since jehovah hath regarded our distresses to alleviate them and this matter they brought without delay to the ear of herod who gave them willing attention notwithstanding the fact that he was on the eve of departing for caesarea i will again hear you of this matter he said to them suavely and i promise you that your holy zeal in the matter shall lack no necessary support from my royal authority with which vague promise the sanhedrists were forced to content themselves for the time being i have long enough played the sanctimonious jew my lady queen said agrippa in the privacy of his palace at caesarea we may hope for a little peace from these importunate long-bearded whining rabbis by apollo they weary me almost beyond endurance but cypros flushed over all her fair face i am resolved she said in her clear low-toned voice to serve this jehovah who alone of all the gods is true and great 
and I pray you, my Lord, to observe and do according to all that these holy men who serve him continually advise thee. For only by so doing shalt thou continue and prosper in this thy highest state. Agrippa burst into a loud laugh by way of answer. Ah, little one, he said, dropping a careless kiss upon the white hand of his queen. These cunning foxes have gained a point since they have enlisted the fairest champion in all the land upon their side. Yet I pray thee, my royal consort, that thou wax not too holy on a sudden, lest thou become also sour and forbidding, like to these withered and ancient hypocrites who would teach thee. Cypros looked troubled. They be holy men, she said firmly, and thou wilt do well to heed their counsels, and to propitiate their God by acts of service, that thou mayest reign long and prosperously, and thy son after thee. What have they been saying to thee, child? asked Agrippa, a half-mocking, half-tender expression in his dark eyes, as he fixed them upon the fair, flushed face of the queen. "'There be wicked men called Nazarenes, my lord the king,' she answered, clasping her small hands nervously, "'who also blaspheme the great God, and continually do stir up strifes in Jerusalem. These worship a dead man, a malefactor who was crucified. They declare that he is alive and that he will usurp thy throne.' There is no usurper less to be feared than a crucified criminal, answered Agrippa lightly. May all my enemies be even as is this perished Nazarene. Yet give thyself no uneasiness in the matter. I have the intent to crush out these knaves from my realm, if for no other reason than to please Jerusalem. Tis a cheap and easy way into the good graces of these Sanhedrists. But though he had dismissed the matter thus carelessly, Agrippa privately called his chamberlain, one Blastus, and sent him into those parts of Jerusalem where the Nazarenes were chiefly gathered. Go quietly, he commanded him, and in such garb that thou be not known as the king's servant, and find out what manner of men these Nazarenes be, what weapons they have, how strong they are in numbers, and presently bring me word of what thou hast seen. After two hours Blastus returned. I have performed thy behests, O king, he said, and I have accomplished thy commands. What then, demanded Agrippa with an impatient frown, waste no words in the telling. The Nazarenes be a feeble folk, replied Blastus, few in number and unarmed. They differ in no way from the common people of their sort, save that they cherish the memory of a slain malefactor and worship him as a god. Didst thou come upon any traces of the man himself? asked Agrippa. They tell a wild story of his having survived his crucifixion. Nay, rather that he rose from the dead, answered Blastus with a malicious smile. I sought out one of their principal men, a fellow called James, and asked him many questions concerning their beliefs, professing myself to be one who was ready to join them. Thou art a shrewd fellow, said Agrippa approvingly, and he said, He said that the man Jesus was the prince foretold of the prophets that he had been rejected by Israel and crucified, despite the fact that he was the only holy and blameless person ever created, that he actually died and was buried, but on the third day he became alive again and was seen of many of them during a month or more, after which he went up into the air and disappeared. A likely tale by the immortals, exclaimed Agrippa with a scornful laugh. Did the knaves pretend to have seen him since? He asked sharply. I asked that question, sire, replied Blastus, who was sufficiently shrewd to perceive 
that some real uneasiness lurked in the breast of his royal questioner. And the fellow assured me that they had not since seen him, but he claims that they are in constant communication with the man, and that he will return after a while in great power and glory to rule over the whole earth. The furies fly away with them, cried Agrippa in a rage. Such babbling, mad though it be, is no less than treason. The knaves shall smart for it. I will nail a score of them to Roman crosses. They may follow their master thus far. Then shall we see if they who remain forget not their folly right speedily. If not, there is wood enough in my kingdom to furnish them all. They are but visionary madmen, your majesty, said Blastus soothingly, with neither influence nor power. While in Caesarea, if I may make bold to suggest it, there be matters which require the royal presence and oversight. Thou art right, said Agrippa. After all, it would be a wearisome thing to attempt this matter now. Let it wait till a more convenient season. That same day the king departed to Caesarea, where amid the royal splendor and pagan pleasures with which he surrounded himself, he speedily forgot that such a man as Jesus of Nazareth had ever existed. His visits to Jerusalem became few and far between, and while there he chiefly concerned himself with the massive fortifications which he had commenced, and which bade fair to render Jerusalem impregnable in case of an attack. Meanwhile the Sanhedrists bided their time with what patience they could muster, though occasional murmurings rose among them as vague reports of the heathen doings in the royal palace at Caesarea reached their ears. In the fourth year of the reign of Agrippa, it was currently reported at Jerusalem that the king not only built theaters for the amusement of the heathen population of Bertus and Caesarea, but that he himself frequented them in company with unclean Gentiles, and further that he had presided in person over a Caesarean jubilee, at which sacrifices were offered to the pagan gods in honor of Claudius. This is not to be borne, sons of Abraham, declared a zealous Pharisee named Simon, arising in the midst of the Sanhedrin, that this Herod is capable of playing the law-observing Israelite at Jerusalem, while at Caesarea he becomes a law-breaking and law-defying Gentile, we have long known, and in times past we have winked at these abominations. But there be bounds to our forbearance, set not by ourselves indeed, but by the unchanging laws of the eternal Jehovah, which laws this king hath trodden underfoot. Let him therefore be altogether a heathen, and let him keep his foot from our holy temple, lest he defile it. This daring speech was received in silence by the assembly, since no other man present dared own that the truth had been spoken. Simon presently received a summons to appear before the king at Caesarea. Sit now beside me, commanded Agrippa, when he had brought the Jew into the theater, and do thou look carefully upon what thou shalt see. Then tell me if there is aught here which transgresses the law of Moses. For I have heard of thee that thou art a very zealous man, and acquainted with what pertains to the law above all that be at Jerusalem. I therefore purpose to avail myself of thy wisdom. Simon trembled exceedingly as he witnessed the entertainment which consisted of a battle to the death between some hundreds of condemned criminals. Thou seest, friend, how that law and pleasure may be justly combined, said Agrippa, with an agreeable smile at the trembling and pallid Jew. These men, whom you observe to be slaying one another, 
are all persons who have deserved death for various crimes, some being murderers, others thieves and highwaymen, while others still are traitors who have blasphemed against the majesty and power of the king. Now thinkest thou that Moses himself would object to so worthy a spectacle, since the beholding of it serves not only to gratify the innocent, but also to warn the unruly? And Simon replied as well as he was able for the chattering of his teeth, that the king was above all men wise, and that he saw nothing contrary to the law in what he had witnessed. Whereupon Agrippa dismissed him graciously with a small present. To behold the face of the knave was a greater spectacle than the battle of the criminals, declared Agrippa with a scornful laugh. But his wife Cypros, who still maintained her ascendancy over him, entreated him to return to Jerusalem and to be at peace with the Sanhedrists. Thou hast prevailed indeed over this Simon, she said anxiously, but beware of dealing falsely with these holy men, since I know right well that they be of an unyielding temper. I will make amends, declared Agrippa. He returned forthwith to Jerusalem and sent for the chief men of the Sanhedrin that he might consult them on a matter of importance. The next day Jerusalem was ringing with the startling news that James, one of the chief of the Nazarenes, had been seized and beheaded in the prison. End of chapter 23